Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, hello. This is Live Jazz KC. I'm Herschel McWilliams. This is the Live Jazz KC uh, Trading Fours podcast. Uh, we had a little bit of a rebranding in the name of the podcast to make it a little more clear is what we're doing. Uh, again, I'm Herschel McWilliams. Um kind of guiding us through this, but uh, as always, we've got a special guest here to chat with us today, just kind of really loose conversation, get to know some of these guys around Kansas City and what they're doing in the scene, to grow the scene, where they've been, and uh, what they're up to, and some plans for the future, and some fun stuff along the way. Today, I am uh, honored to be sitting in the uh, musical dungeon of one Jim Mayer. At the uh, at the Lenexa compound, right, Jim? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and you can't see, but I've not seen a record collection like this since I toured the uh, Lawrence K and U uh, music library. It's a uh, it's the only thing I could say that would be close. But if there's a record I need, I think I could probably find it. As no matter how obscure, would you say it's pretty close? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm still trying to get through them all. Right. Well, um, we'll get. I'll talk about the records here in a second because I have some questions about that now that yeah. I see them. You bet. But yeah, a really great collection of records, art, instruments, and, and so forth. So, again, we have Jim Mayer here, um, the director of instrumental music. Is that the right title? 
Yes. At uh, Kansas City, Kansas Community College, the award-winning, downbeat award-winning Kansas City, Kansas Community College music program. Um, and uh, Jim took over that program in the fall of 99. That's correct. Yep. And uh, right as I was leaving there, I, I was there in the spring and uh, under the tutelage of Marlon Cooper, who we all love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you came in right afterwards and the 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 amount of stuff that you've been able to accomplish the amount of accolades you've you've collected there is just breathtaking when i go back and look at it for the last 23 4 years almost right, right. um it's been incredible so uh, tell us some about yourself uh, for those of you that don't know um jim very well uh, i think this will be a really good insight to see um uh, exactly how he's made it that program what it is today and he's made his name around Kansas City as one of the uh top guys in the city in terms of education performance um uh, community and and really in my um uh, opinion someone who makes it your mission to to give back and uh to to the generations that are still coming up through through the musical avenues of of kansas city and jazz scene and not just jazz but every many other genres as well um so originally you're from winnipeg manitoba winnipeg so canada uh-huh. you are a, a dual citizen dual now. you're a dual so how long have you been a dual citizen now uh two three years three years maybe three years and well congratulations same day as salvador perez Oh yeah, did you go through the ceremony with him? Uh, no, he was I was he was in an undisclosed location. <laughs> I was just with the regular folks. <laughs> well, that's pretty it, awesome. Funny funny thing is, I was at the front of the the group. I don't know, there was maybe a couple hundred people getting their citizenship that night and I was the first one. And so after you go through the line, they kind of we didn't really do a run through. It was kind of a talk through. Anyway, I was leading everybody out of the, the space where they give everybody their citizenship, and I took the wrong exit, <laughs> and everybody followed me out the wrong door, <laughs> and the uh, the security guys came running after. No, no, you can turn around and go back and give me that citizenship card yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna need to do this again. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Congratulations, dude. That's huge. I was, I wondered about that earlier today when I was thinking about this talk. Uh-huh. Uh, I knew that you had gained that citizenship and you had dual citizenship i just wasn't sure exactly when that happened so from winnipeg manitoba canada how did how did saxophone come along for you i mean just at the most basic level was it just school band that got you interested in playing an instrument it was uh like a lot of kids uh, i went through the school band program i started in the seventh grade uh, i picked the saxophone so i could sit next to one of my best friends and we could learn together and um see i was a hockey player before that very mediocre hockey player and i but i always loved music and i i had a job since i was in the sixth grade and when i would get paid i would go buy records records like probably all kinds of records yeah oh yeah started with in fact the last rock album i bought was back in black I think. And then it's basically been jazz ever since that. Really? But do you still like enjoy going back to listen to some of those great yeah. rock albums? Yeah. In fact, I finally um, bit the bullet and got Spotify Premium. 
So I have a playlist. I'm just going through a pick and tunes, you know, from yeah. when I was a kid. And I think I've got it's up to like 32 hours of music. So next road trip, I'm just going to press start and go through every. That's great. Well, you might be listening to us here today on Spotify. I know this this podcast is, is uh, syndicated out to Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and so forth. So, yeah, there you go. Plug for Spotify. And they've got just a huge library of music that I have many playlists on yeah. uh, myself, including jazz. And I have a classical saxophone. And I have, like, old, you know early hip-hop albums i like to listen to and rock and roll but so you were in the school band picking saxophone was it alto saxophone at the time i started on alto and uh, when i first put it together i had to read on the top of the mouthpiece and i was so excited to get it i was in my dad the trunk of my dad's car so we were going to visit my grandma before we went in to visit her I opened up the case and put it together, and the reed. I put. The, I, I was convinced the reed goes on top. Well, there's some guys that play it that way. Yeah. Anyway, my dad said, "I don't think it goes. It works that way." But anyway, I started on alto, and it was not a very good instrument. Uh, our junior high band director, though, he was a professional musician, and he played for us all the time, trumpet. And he said, well, "The school just bought a new Yamaha uh, YTS-23, I think it is, student model." And he said, if you want to switch to tenor, uh, you can use it. I said, okay. So I started playing tenor and kind of stuck with that all the way through high school. Yeah, well, I had a YAS-23 beginner alto saxophone from fifth grade myself, and it was a workhorse. And I still say today that they're some of the best beginner saxophones you could have, and there's I wouldn't be ashamed to have to go play one anywhere in town. They're that no, good horn. I, I agree. And look... The uh, the value of them has really not changed. They're still going for five hundred dollars used. You're right. And they've been going for that price used for decades. Yeah, and they're affordable. You, yep. You, you're never going to buy a used one and get hurt uh, reselling it if you take good care of it. That's right. So you were in the band and quickly switched to tenor saxophone. Uh, and in your band program, was it a big band program? Was it a a fairly healthy-sized music program in your public school system? Um, well, in, for middle school or junior high, as they called it, um, it was a newer school, so there was some turnover with the band directors until we got Mr. Jones. Uh, so it it was not too big, but uh, his inspiration really, uh, a lot of, not a lot, but at least five or six guys who came out of that same band program the same year I was there, in my eighth grade year, I guess, they all became professional musicians. That says a lot. And yeah, and we used to practice uh, after school in the band room, basically every day. Um, and the, the principal, I went and talked to the principal about it. He said, "Yeah, just make sure you close the door tight, and when you guys leave, make sure that the outside doors are pulled tight as well." So, what was your first? Was was that your first introduction to jazz idiom, so to speak? I think so. Uh, our band director was a jazz trumpet player, and uh, so he would play recordings for us. He brought his instrument every day. Um, so we started figuring out tunes by ear, no sheet music, and we put together a group. It was uh, trumpet, trombone, myself on saxophone, bass and drums, no 
chordal instrument. And uh, so we just started figuring out tunes off the off of records, like one note at a time, you know. And then uh, we found out that they had a make, speaking of great record collections at the public library, it was just phenomenal. So every Saturday morning, uh, my friend Darren and I, we would take the bus down there and you could only take out 10 albums at a time. So I'd start at letter A and start going through every single album, all the way to letter Z. And any album that looked like, hey, wow, this looks interesting, uh, I'd get it, put it under my arm, kind of, you know. And so I'd have to go, go back to a cubicle, and I'd have about 60 albums in a stack. And I'm like, okay, i got to weed this down to 10. So I'd weed through it and say, okay, well, this album's here every week, so it'll probably be here next week, so I won't get, you know. Eventually got it down to 10. Then my friend Darren, he weeded his uh all the ones that he found down to 10 and we take them home and you can keep them i think it was i guess you could keep them for a month but we we went back every saturday we would tape onto a cassette all those records wow yeah and then midweek we i take his 10 he'd take my 10 and we do the same thing and then we go down to the library the next saturday and return all the records and start at letter A again and go through and just built an amazing uh, collection. And it's interesting because there's still albums that I, that were at that library that I've still never seen before other than at that library. Really? Yeah, and like really obscure jazz labels and stuff. Anyway, they're not, the, obviously they got rid of all the records many years ago, but uh, anyways, that was a great way to start really getting into some serious listening well, on cassettes. And just having been around you in the the teaching uh, aspect of your career, and I've seen you working with, with students and teaching them, it seems like a lot of how you teach is the way you learned. Um, learning tunes learning melodies by ear and learning learning tunes by ear and how valuable has that skill been for you as a musician and how valuable is that for you to teach to, to students because uh, so many of us nowadays i mean guys my age or even younger or older we have so many resources at our disposal uh for, from a print standpoint that mm-hmm. it sort of develops a little bit of a crutch in some in some cases where I'm embarrassed to say there's a lot of tunes that I'm from very familiar with, but can't say that I have memorized by ear the melody because I didn't take the time to learn them note for note rather than seeing them, reading them, becoming, you know, uh, becoming familiar with them. But you're saying you learned from a a standpoint of just earballing right off the record. How's that skill been useful for you? moving forward well there was a period of time where i was exclusive real book player Uh, i'll I'll touch on that in a bit i think i try and teach uh playing by ear i don't really think of it as teaching jazz but but playing jazzing things up you know Uh, i'm doing a workshop up in canada in the fall and it's called what is it called using using the tools you already have in your toolbox and it's just starting with, because a lot of band directors, they don't have the jazz experience, but they have to teach it. 
Mm-hmm. So, well, everybody who, who has a music degree can play a major scale. So let's take a concert B flat scale and echo. I'll play something one, one note at a time and just echo what I play. And we just keep adding to it. And it turns out to be a melody that I've already in my mind thought, okay, I'm going to teach them somewhere over the rainbow or something they would recognize. Um, o Canada, right. Star Spangled Banner, Happy Birthday, whatever. And so, so they'll they'll figure it out by ear, and then uh, I'll tell them, okay, just jazz it up, make it your own. You know, it, it sound. So we don't really get into any uh, advanced theory. Right. We take the tools you already have in your toolbox. You can do this in front of an eighty-piece concert band and get the kids playing by ear. I mean, Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, those guys love to play by ear. Sure. You know, that's 50. If, if you don't play by ear, you might only be using 50% of your musicianship. Sure. And, uh, you know, way before you or, or I for sure, it the guys that came, you know, early early on in, in, in jazz, quote unquote, they were learning everything by ear. Is that, would you say that that's a, I mean, if guy wanted to go learn a record, he went and learned the record and, you know, listened to it. Right, repeated it, played it, listened to it again, and that's that was the way of of educating yourself and becoming um, a musician in that in that world in the jazz world was because you not only studied your horn but you also listened to the music and, and listening becomes such a vital part of of the education process and it seems like sometimes a lot of that is is lost. Some sometimes these days, uh, in the you know academic world, in the academic institution of music, right? So, yeah, if you've got you know here's a here's a recording and here's the music for it, and go analyze what they did on this piece of written music, and then it becomes a math equation. Some in some respects, rather than a musical endeavor, would you agree? Definitely, yeah, and you lose that connection. I think with with people that are listening as well from that. But um, when COVID hit, um, we had to rehearse outside. And I had a full jazz band out there. And it was too windy to take sheet music out. So I thought, okay, I'm going to, we're not going to use any sheet music this semester. And I'm just going to teach them by rote heads. And uh, anyways, by the end of the semester, I think, wait, the students had, the entire jazz band had 16 heads memorized. It's amazing. Which they would never have had any of them memorized if we used a book. And so we went through the pain of that. And I, I tried to pick, you know, tunes that, again, were fairly diatonic or inside, you know, one particular scale. But that's a skill you're teaching them at the same time you're teaching them tunes, but it's a skill you're teaching them that... They can take and and really parlay into other tunes that they want to learn and grow on their own without having to be part of the classroom uh, environment. But the, you've taught them how to teach themselves, right? I mean, which as an instructor, I would think that's that's the ultimate goal is to not only teach them what you set out to teach them, but give them the tools, add tools to their toolbox, as you yeah. say, right? Add more tools to that toolbox so that they can start to really. Uh, focus on what they want to do and, and have the tools to teach themselves in some respect. Right, and it can be any genre, any tune with a melody. Right, you can figure out on your instrument. And... Yeah, and 
coming up with musicians that played that way up for myself i had some guys in college that were mostly church musicians right yeah and who played organ or bass and these guys had the best ears yeah. i've ever played with and you could give them a chart and they could read read the changes or whatever but their ability to hear it and just know where it's going because their ears are so trained to to hearing the different harmonies and and being able to embellish on them or whatever and make it their own quickly was i realized really you know fast for myself was man these guys don't have the same type of education but what they do have is some really valuable tools with their ears and it becomes such a vital part of, of, of musicianship. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the great aspects of the Kansas city jazz tradition. I think is that we're kind of, I don't know, losing a little bit is that, you know, playing with heart. Yeah. It's, it's become, it's been becoming a lot more intellectual, which isn't a bad thing. But anyway, I bought my first real book, out of the back of a guy's trunk at a music camp in this car. I ended up going to study with him for four years at the University of Mary in Bismarck, North Dakota. And it was a fantastic uh, program. It really was the best decision I ever made uh, from an educational standpoint. It was going there. It really opened up a lot of doors. But, um, you know, everybody there still uses real books on gigs. And so when I moved to Kansas City... Um, which, which again was a, a real blessing uh, to go to UMKC and study with Mike Parkinson and Gary Foster. Um, I started working gigs around town, and my teachers in North Dakota said, "You know, if you move to a city that has a jazz scene, while you're getting your master's degree, you can kind of get your foot in the door and get to know people." So, right after I graduated, I started playing at the Phoenix. You know, five and six nights a week down at an eights and central, starting in ni- 1990, uh, 1990 actually, May of nineteen ninety, and uh, so I started playing with Tim Whitmer and Rusty Tucker and Lucky Wesley, Laverne Barker, and some of those old old cats, and I brought real books to that gig, and Tim just said, "What are those?" He knew what they were. I said, "Well, the real books, I don't really know those two a lot of tunes from memory. He said, well, we won't be using real books. So put those down at your feet behind, the, underneath the piano and you can kind of wean your way off of them. And so that forced me to start learning tunes. That's great. I mean, and when you go to a jam session, a lot of times and these younger people there, you know, naturally they're, they're looking at real books or, yeah. or something. And, you know, there's always that little bit of, of side eye that you get from some of the older guys and says, Oh, this guy's going to bring his book up on stage or yeah. whatever. But, you know, again, I think with the idea of trying to wean yourself off of them, I know personally I, I have them sitting there sometimes, and it's more than anything, it's just sitting there to calm my own nerves. Yeah. <laughs> and whether I look at it or not is completely irrelevant. Yeah. Um, but it is. It's a it's a great tool, and it's certainly been valuable to the education of many, many uh musicians but so you, you talked about coming here and going to grad school at umkc and uh playing at the phoenix at eighth and central which i still have my jim Mayer eighth and central cd um that i bought in probably 1997 or eight hmm. i don't even remember where i got it from might have been cd warehouse or something like that but i, I saw it at a garage 
one at a garage sale uh, in the free free stuff. <laughs> You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so I grabbed it. Well, but, yeah. I uh yeah. Well, I need to bring it over and have you have you autograph it to me <laughs> after all these years. Um so fast forward through going University of Mary in Bismarck coming here and studying it at uh UMKC. What year did you did you finish up here at UMKC? Uh, 1990, spring of 1990. And uh, I was offered a job in South Africa at the University of Natal. Uh, basically to the the week that I started playing at the Phoenix. And so, and that was with Darius Brubeck. And so I was kind of looking at the big picture. and thinking, okay, well, I'm a Canadian citizen. If I leave the U.S., I may never get back in here. The, it's a two-year appointment in South Africa, which would be amazing. But then where do I go after, you know? Right. Anyway, I ended up uh, turning it down. In fact, it was a funny story real quick. I uh, Darius Brubeck was coming back to the States, and he was staying with his parents. And uh, he said, call me at my folks' house, and we can talk about it, and then you can make your decision. So I called over there, and Dave Brubeck answered the phone. <laughs> so we're yakking for a while. Anyways, Darius had, uh, was, had not got back, gotten back into town yet. And I, I told Dave that I had, if he could just pass that on to Darius. That, because I basically said what I just told you. Right. That as far as big picture, this is probably the smarter thing for me to do uh, is to decline it. So you were here, and I know you you were here playing for a number of years, and you you eventually left to take another teaching gig here in the states somewhere. It was in where was that back? That was in Twin Falls, Idaho, College of Southern Idaho. Again, what a blessing! It was amazing uh, program, great facilities, great support. We started a jazz festival right away. Brought in Jay McShann, Richard Ross. Um, and that was our first, the first group we brought in. And then I started bringing in Kansas City musicians every year after that. Uh, so I, I taught there for four years. And uh, we started the Idaho All-State Jazz Program. We went to Montreux. And it was, it was an amazing place. But uh, anyway, so I was going to a, at IAJE at the time. Uh, January of 1990, 99, 99, I guess it was, yeah. And I walk on the plane, and this I hear this guy hollering at me, Jim Mayer! <laughs> I already know this. <laughs> yeah, I look up, I go, Marlon Cooper! <laughs> he says, we gotta talk! Yeah, sounds just so like I knew him. he was going there, because he's one of the founders yeah. of that organization. So, uh, anyway, uh, on the, on the, we get to the convention wherever it was in New Orleans or New York City, maybe, I don't know. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be retiring this year. You should apply for the job. You'd be perfect. And uh, I, uh, you know, I, I asked him what he taught, and he said, well, I'm doing... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, the jazz bands, and we have a string orchestra and a concert band. And, and uh, I said, well, I, I don't know if I feel that comfortable. I can do a concert band because I've done some quite a bit of that but an orchestra he said um don't worry about it you can, i know you can handle it so um that he could just tell me about it because legally he, you're not allowed to uh you know get the wheels in motion i guess so he was kind of apprehensive about that but anyway so it was a perfect opportunity to get back into kansas city and uh so that i blessed that whole chain of events the yeah. way that worked out which was fantastic that when it comes to that sort of thing there's not many people at around Kansas City Kansas Community College that may have been more influential at the time in any aspect uh, yep. getting anything done than Marlon Cooper was absolutely yeah he, um, he could make anything happen that he put his mind to at that place and he was definitely uh, influential in many things that happened at that school you know for the first 20 years at least uh at the college i would have at least once a week someone would come up to me in the hallway or on campus and say you know marlon cooper whatever happened to marlon cooper he was my teacher back in 1985 or whatever you know yeah and, and he has an amazing legacy and students just loved him i i like to talk about Marlon Cooper and for anybody doesn't know he's been an educator in Kansas City for a long time worked in the Kansas City Kansas public schools at middle school level and probably some high school and then basically started the Kansas City Kansas Community College Music Department um, in its infancy 1972 uh, yeah and shortly thereafter my my dad was in his band program along with my mother um, which is where they met. And, okay. uh, <laughs> I don't think we need any more details than that. <laughs> it's where they met. Yeah. Um, but, and I was there, um, and in fifth grade, my dad still thought so much of Marlon that he introduced me to him at the Northwest Area Band Festival when I was in grade school and said, hey, this is my son. You know, maybe someday he can come play, at your, play in your band at the college. He goes, oh, yeah, sure, bring him over. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so from then on, I was like, I'm, you know, I got a chance to be around him. And what a what a treat it was to just spend time with a guy who's seen as much and done as much, um, done as many good things for people. And, mm-hmm. and really, much like yourself, has, he made it his mission to really propel so many musicians and, and lift them up in the scene and give them opportunities to, to play and be professionals and... and have a chance to to shine um and i feel like he was instrumental in in creating that legacy that still burns super bright today yeah um you know from a foundational standpoint of really just creating responsible musicians who are prepared and know when to speak and when not to speak and what right. to say and what not to say and how not to have your foot in your mouth when you get to a gig or, you know, and um, prepared you for the uh, professional career to some respect. That's and, right. And uh, no matter if you were the best player he had or or, or not, he, 
he treated you as if you were, and he expected the same level of, of professionalism out of everybody in the band, um, which held everyone to a higher standard, which, you know, lifted the, lifted the, the whole band up. And yeah. while I was there, you know, we were lucky enough to travel and, and take part in some big musical, uh, festivals in DC and new Orleans and had top ratings and a great big band and, and stuff. And guys that are there with, were there with me. I still see and play with today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, big thanks to, to Marlon Cooper, who's, uh, always, always teaching. And even yeah. if you're on a gig with him, he'll, he, he's always teaching. He'll look at you and just give you that smile. Like, Hey, uh, you better pay attention. <laughs> this one's going to be tough. <laughs> he says, hope you can sight read. <laughs> and, or you just giggle at you and you know, okay, hold on tight. Cause, yeah. um, and he, you know, he was just through his teaching and his way with people, life skills. Yeah. He'd teach you life skills, um, without you really knowing it. Precise. And I've said that for a long time, back to my very first lesson with him. He asked me what, what tunes do I know? And I said a tune. He says, okay, play it. And I, I didn't know it. I just heard it, and I liked it. And if I had music for it, I could sort of read it. But I didn't know the tune. He goes, now, nah, if anybody asks you a tune that you know, <laughs> make sure you actually know the tune. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, okay, lesson learned, and I've never forgotten that. No. Um, but, yeah, he did. Just I, I always tell people, touch more about being a responsible adult than, than really even being a musician, but it all connected, yeah. you know. Um, but recently, uh, in the last three or four years, um, I've been a little more involved with you in the college with your um, Monday night big band. Mm-hmm. And early on, uh, Cooper was also a part of that and, and co-directing and co-leading the band. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the guys who didn't get to have him as an instructor got to experience you know, his you know, tutelage and yeah. some of his guidance along the way. And it was nice to have him around while we did. We haven't seen him much lately, but he's always welcome to come back and, and certainly – is a is a wealth of good stories. Every yep. time you pull a chart out of that library, he's got a story to go with it. <laughs> ah, so and so wrote this for my band in nineteen seventy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and you know it, but he's got a story to t- tell you, and it all goes back to some facet of teaching, uh-huh. um, which I. It's very evident to me, watching what you're doing now and seeing that you're not letting that go away. Um, that tradition still is strong at Kansas Community Community College. And since you've been there, I know that there's been a number of students of yours who have been recognized nationally for their composition, musicianship, uh, solos, bands, the, you know, some of the ensembles out of the college have won major awards from Downbeat Music, uh, Music Awards, Student Music Awards from Downbeat Jazz Magazine. Um, this year there was what eight or nine awards to the school, maybe 15, 15 awards. See, um, for some incredible compositions uh-huh. and solos and yeah. some of the ensembles that you've got going on. And in previous years, that was equally as successful, if I remember correctly. And that's something to be proud of. I mean, I'm, I'm proud to have ever been a part of that program and to see what they're doing now and see what they've got going on. And just tell me some of the some of the guys here in town that you had 
Uh, I know a bunch, but I'll let you give us the name. Some of the guys that are in town right now playing regularly and at a very high level went through your program. And these are names that most people around town will recognize. So, Right. Well, the roster, the... Uh, the roster at Black Dolphin and the Green Lady Lounge, I think, between faculty and students, uh, there's at least 10 regulars playing there, uh, like Mark Slim mm-hmm. and on Hammond B3 organ. Um, now, there's a young man who wasn't your stereotypical band kid, but he's a pilot. He flies planes. He fixes, he plays B3, and uh, anyway, he he's not like, and he wouldn't mind me saying this, he wasn't maybe a great student, but he really knew how to learn. Right. So anyways, he's playing there, uh, Antonio Reyes playing bass and drums there on a regular basis, they went through our program. Um Let's see, uh, Andre Reyes, he went through our youth program. Uh, Chris Hazelton, right? Chris Hazelton went through our program, yeah. Nick Rowland. Nick Rowland, thank you for helping me out. Yeah. Um, Caleb Aldrich. Caleb Aldrich, yeah. Um, I mean, these guys are incredible musicians. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, just the Reyes brothers alone, those guys, you know, that band that they have outside of the jazz world, the, the uh, stranded in the city. Uh-huh. If you've not heard that band, people, um, one of the best bands to go see live in a in a club setting or, or live in in Kansas City is Stranded in the City with the Reyes Brothers. Michael Harris, who also went to KCK, yeah, um, on saxophone, is so, a band director at Washington. All those guys can play any genre of music with authenticity. They're not just jazz, right? Guys, and that's one of the things we talk about a lot is you need you need to have 21st century musicianship skills so you can be employable and have a long shelf life. Uh, one of Tim Whitmer's favorite uh, terms, having a long shelf life. Well, he's had a long shelf life. In the music he? business, yes. I've learned so much from him. Um, you know, Tim Bailey, he went through our program, basis with Ariana Grande. Yes. Um, and, of course, our audio engineering program is, that's kind of, for quite some time now, has been our flagship because we get a lot of kids that go through there who are just doing amazing things on an international level, uh, running sound. And Ian Corbett, who's a, a great musician in his own right, he runs that audio engineering program. And uh, he's you know he doesn't want button pushers. He wants musicians you know, cats that can speak the language. You know, if you're doing a recording session and the, the musicians say, hey, let's pick it up at the bridge, you know, the engineer knows what that means. Right. So uh, that's a really been a great asset to our program. I And I can't uh, under, undervalue uh, the contributions John Stafford and Justin Binnick. Uh, have brought to the program and John's been the impetus for all the downbeat entries Uh, when he interviewed for that job he was the last guy to interview that day and I was so disappointed we didn't really have any candidates that really knock our socks off and he came in and like five minutes uh, he just had the kids singing up a storm and 
He's he's just been amazing, a godsend. I just uh, saw the other day he had a group of students singing back up for Josh Groban. Yes, went down. yep. They sounded amazing. They did, and uh, and then a few years after that, Justin Binnick uh, applied for the job. He has a doctorate from North Texas, and he's a he's a sax player, pianist, singer, uh, very smart person. And he can play any genre of music. So when he applied for the job, you know, we were thinking, well, he probably won't stick around. And I said, I said to John, we we just gotta take a leap of faith. He is the guy. And so he's t- totally revamped our theory program. I mean, they, you know, these students, uh, you know, they they European harmony they study, but they they're also studying, you know, music of today what's happening harmonically and rhythmically in the pop genres and we have a funk band uh that we started with vocals and kind of like earth wind and fire type group that uh won several downbeat awards this year they're in fact they're going to be one of the headliners at the gen convention in orlando in january not in the student category not in the generations part of the festival but as a headliner Right, you know, in the evening concerts. So, uh, it's just those guys have done an amazing job, and and then we finally we really have the faculty in place now, adjunct wise. We got J- James Albright, we're trying to get him for years. We got Ray DeMarchi, who's phenomenal. We got uh, Rod Fleeman. We got Jason Godot. We got Daniel Dismore. Um. I'm probably leaving out a couple other ones, but uh, uh, just all the pieces of the puzzle are right there. Yeah. And the support right. from the administration is just incredible. And from what I can see, I mean, I know that you've been involved in a lot of other jazz outreach type programs, being the founding, the founder of you, you and, and your wife, are the founders of the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra many years ago. Um, started that, and it's become the preeminent uh, performance big band in in Kansas City. You know, I think that goes without saying. And um, you know, playing at the Kaufman Center, mm-hmm. um, and has taken on a couple different uh, shapes and directors over the time. You know, and I know that initially you led the band. Yeah, for and, the first eight years, and then Carrie Strayer. Yep, and then now. Uh, Clint Ashlock, who correct a high school mate of mine, mm-hmm. um, a phenomenal musician and composer, yep, and a wonderful director and leader of that band. Um, to see what they've done, and also you know that along with your nonprofit that you have with Kansas City Jazz Alliance, being so integral in, with the the outreach education stuff with your jazz festival at the college, the basically Basie. Mm-hmm. Um, annual jazz festival competition um, that had how many students? I know this this last spring you had a, a great festival. How many bands did you? have? I think we had sixty five. Sixty five bands. Sixty five groups. We had uh, far away as Seattle, uh, Bentonville, Arkansas, uh, St. Louis. Amazing. Yeah. And these and it shows you that jazz is taken a a has a footprint all over this country you mm-hmm. know i mean 
you came from Canada, which there's some incredible high school bands in Canada too. Yeah. Um, so the level of musicianship anywhere you go is, is staggering, but what you do to promote this type of um, festival here in Kansas city is really becoming rich in tradition um, with the focus being on the Basie repertoire, um, Kansas city jazz at its kind of roots um, from a big band standpoint um, to which I will say um, you are deeply keen on trivia wise. <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned this last year during a fun trivia night we had for, for jazz Kansas city jazz trivia you have an encyclopedic knowledge of of Kansas City jazz history, and is that just because of your uh, your deep passion for the music and the city that you're in, or has it always just been your mission to to make yourself acquainted with all of these things and know the players and know the recordings, and because really it becomes more organic to you that yeah. way. Um, it's kind of a combination of those things. I mean, reading all those records I took out at the public library as a kid, I read those liner notes. Okay. You that, know, and so I got a, a lot of information on those. And that's then, why you knew every saxophone player on every record. Right. right. <laughs> um, and just those just, those things are important to me. I mean, it's, it's just like, you know, someone who follows baseball, you know, can name the top home run hitters in the history of the game or hockey or you know statistics and those kind of things yeah i i just love that and uh not just for saxophone players but i really um i you know any tune i hear i'm i'm it's a personal blindfold test i'm trying to figure out who is that yeah you know like who is who is the play who are the musicians playing you know, whether it's a big band or a combo, you know, what record label could that be? What um, studio? What time period? You know, all that stuff. I, I really enjoy it. A friend of mine and, and and I, often we spent a lot of time in the car together, and we would daily uh, grab the, plug the phone into the car and just play drop the needle yeah and pick a recording out and i you got to tell me who's taking the first saxophone solo or who's playing the guitar or, you know who's on drums here mm -hmm. and it it got to the point where some of them were pretty easy because you knew the tune or the record but other times i would feel silly as heck because i'm like oh man who did play bass on this album or who did play trombone on this album or, yeah. you know, I've never heard it, but I ought to know this guy because I've heard his playing a million times, but I've never heard this record or, and, you know, but over time we got pretty good about it, you know? Well, there's so many great young players on, in Kansas city now and, you know, in the, in the world, jazz players. It's, when I try and do that now, I, instead of figuring out who it is, I figure out who it isn't. It's easier. Like if I'm listening to a trumpet player, I'll say, "Okay, well, that's definitely, that's definitely not Lee Morgan or Clifford Brown. Okay, well, it's not Tom Harrell. It's not Chet Baker." And I start getting into the you know the younger cats. And well, it was a Wallace Roney, right? You know, and so it's a process of elimination. When you listen to saxophone players, you know, for me, that's always the easiest because I've listened to more probably than I have any other instrument. You know. I know for me, when I listen, I listen not the lines they're playing are one thing, but 
to me, a lot of times it's it's the tone, it's the quality of the tone, it's the timbre of the instrument, uh, the phrasing of the rhythms mm-hmm. um, that you go, oh, that's definitely Joe Henderson. Yeah. And a couple times I've thought that, and it's been someone else who's very much along those same lines. But oftentimes yeah. I can get it because I I'm so familiar with the the voice of this person from a rhythmic or melodic standpoint or a tonal standpoint, you know, and I've grown into be able to doing a better job with you know other instruments as well but it's it's hard um but that listening is invaluable and that's the kind of thing that you know if you're reading liner notes on albums as you're checking them out from the library certainly uh you're going to gain that yeah <laughs> it's going to put everything right on the shelf where it needs to be for you down the road right, right. um now kind of recently i mean for quite a while now you've been You've had a residency with the Tim Whitmer, the Good Times Quartet at the Black Dolphin twice a week for some time now. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell us a little about a little bit about that band um, and what makes that band so fun to play with. Because I notice when I watch live streams of that band or I hear that band, it seems like you have a really great time because you're able to just go have fun and play everything from a soprano to a flute, clarinet, alto, tenor, baritone. You know, you're liable to play any instrument that you can carry in that place. Yeah. And maybe only for one tune that night. Well, that's true. <laughs> but, uh, oh, well, Tim and I, we worked, like I said, we worked five, six nights a week in the 90s. And uh, I learned so much about music, but uh, just a way to treat people and be a professional and have your game face on and stuff. Anyway, um, you know, when it, I haven't done a lot of playing in the last 20 years just because I have kids and being a dad, but the kids are growing up now. And uh, anyway, so t- I've been playing with Tim at the Black Dolphin uh, Friday, every Friday and Saturday night. And usually James Albright and Ray DeMarchi are with us, or we have really great subs like Kenny Watson or Jurgen Belga on drums or Greg Clinking Beard. Uh, on bass or Seiko was with us for quite some time. Seiko's another wonderful yeah. student of Kansas City Kansas Community College, who I hope to right. have on this podcast soon. I hope so, yeah. It's incredible. Um so anyway, so all we play is original tunes. Right. And so uh it takes a minute to get used to if 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 you've been coming to see me or Tim play for decades, which a lot of people have they're like, well, how, why aren't you guys playing any Basie or Ellington, you know? Well, that's just the rules. So we're trying to write tunes that capture that that style. Like, okay, well, Ellington that may essence. have could have written something like this. Yeah. Or Basie or, or whoever. Do you find yourself writing contrafacts and things like that over... Over like standard changes, yep. to some degree. I do, and anytime I'm taking a solo, I always tried to just think that my solo that I'm playing is a contrafact, a spontaneous contrafact, which means every note has to be. You try and hear it in your head before it comes out of the instrument, but yeah, like so um, melodic, melodic solo. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, uh, I wrote a little melody over. Moton Swing called Mahomes Swing, you know, or, um, uh, yeah, it's just the standard tunes that everybody pl- loves to play, you know, uh, from the American Popular Songbook. 
uh, take those chords and write your own melodies to them, and it's been great. The cool thing, you know, it, it's very dark in the Black Dolphin. The sound system's amazing. The lighting is amazing. Um, the decor is amazing. It's super clean in there. And everybody listens, at least when we're playing. Um, so it's just been great. Like, you know, like Ray DeMarchi, he'll take a solo. He gets so soft. You will hear a pin drop, you know, in the carpet. Or, you know, Tim will do these ballads that he wrote um, when he was living in different parts of the of the country. You know, real quiet, tender ballads. And it's just dead silent in there. Which is a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've been flattered enough to, or fortunate enough, however you want to say it, to, uh, you guys have played one of my charts occasionally, that's right. once in a while. Yeah. So that's a that's a huge compliment to to have you guys play not just once, but played it more than once. Uh huh. It's still still in rotation. I like it. Um, well, I'm gonna take a quick break here, real quick, and remind everybody this is the Live Jazz KAC Trading Force podcast, and take a quick break let everyone hear a little bit of music um and uh, this recording i just want to play a little bit this is bobby watson logan richardson um captured from a live concert um on a charlie parker tune entitled confirmation so this is bobby watson logan richardson and the band uh, playing confirmation by charlie parker with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Okay, that was Bobby Watson, Logan Richardson, and the band, the rest of the band on Confirmation by uh, Charlie Parker. Um, as we move forward, I guess, Jim, I kind of want to just touch on, you know, a few things, maybe not directly related to educational side of things or performing side of things, but just more big picture Kansas City jazz scene. Um I know it's changed a lot, ebbed and flowed since you've been around Kansas City in your time, and um, had some great musicians, lost some great musicians, um, had some great festivals, lost some great festivals. There's been some great venues come and go and come again. And um, what have you seen? What? How do you see things moving? How they? How they come along so far? How's the scene grown? Well, there's a definitely a depth. Depth is quite a bit deeper. There's just you know tons of great bass players, tons of great sax players, all the way across the board. So uh, that's fantastic. Um, you know, one thing I notice is Kansas Cityans love to go listen to Kansas City musicians. Like, uh, I've been to some of the, like, over the years, the Folly Theater, for example, or, like, Eddie Daniels was playing there. And there was, like, 150 people in there. And that was part of the Folly Jazz Series, you know. And yet, uh, the, the clubs are oftentimes, you know, standing room only. I mean, at the Green Lady right now, people are... We basically get their overflow at the Black Dolphin, but... Um, I just think, you know, there's a folksiness of a Kansas City audience, and I think uh, we don't want to lose sight of that because those, you know, those are the people that fund the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra. Those are the ones that come out to the different concerts of local players. I think they love supporting the local players. So uh, as Houston Person said to me once, make a fan a friend. Um, I think when you're advertising gigs on social media, I get a sense a lot of musicians are advertising to other musicians to come to the gigs, and I don't th- know if that's a recipe for longevity. But I think it's important to build a following of fans who are regular people who secretly they would love to be a musician. Yeah, you know, dentists, lawyers, dry cleaners, mechanics. Carpenters, electricians—you uh, know, those are the people that uh, have supported me all these years. So, how do we continue that? Um, With—I mean—and maybe I'm not saying this correctly, but I'm going to try the best I know how. You know, some of those supporters of jazz—they're—they're they're aging upward, and to the point that sometimes they're thinning out 
in terms of their ability to come out and support live music in person. Right. How do we connect to the up and coming generations, the guys that are, you know, starting their professional careers or maybe guys that are, you know, that next generation of jazz supporters and how do we connect to them in terms of, you know, with all the tools we have at our disposal, be it digitally or social media or what have you, um, to come out and really connect the music to those people who maybe aren't as familiar with jazz uh, as a whole, but certainly like it, but don't know to don't really know why or, or how to appreciate it as much as they would want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, in my opinion, it's where we stand to potentially lose as a scene is we're playing to the same audiences that have been there for a while and how do we get those new people out um, that and keep growing the, the audience, right? So if we have a scene of, of, of musicians and venues that allow musicians to play, how do we keep reinvigorating the support uh, generation, generationally? Well, I wouldn't say I'm an expert at that, but some things that I've thought about are uh, when people come out to hear you play, they want to have a good time, particularly if they live out in the suburbs. You know, I have a lot I have a lot of friends out in Johnson County or the outlying suburbs or Tonganoxie and whatnot. And the thought of driving downtown, you know, well, am I going to get robbed? You know, it's a long way to drive. How's the parking? This and that. So yeah. you got to make sure when, if you get people out to your gigs, you got to make sure they have a great time. I think that, yeah, I mean, you got to have great service. You got to yeah. play music that that they're going to get excited about. Um, you know, Tim Whitmer said our philosophy when we played at the Phoenix all those years was we work from five to nine for people that work nine to five. That's fair. Yeah, and that's what it was. I mean, the people that come in, these are people who come. You know, they're avoiding rush hour traffic, and they're going to come down for a couple drinks. They're in suits, they're professional people, or they're city workers, or whatever. Uh, so the other thing is get to know your get to know your audience. Uh, people like to be recognized. People like to be remembered. Um, you know, I played at Casconi's every weekend for fifteen years. Um, on the breaks, and we try to do this. I mean, it's it's not possible all the time, but on the breaks, you got to go out and. Visit with the customers and read their body language. You know, sit down and talk to them if they look like they're interested, you know, or at least welcome them. Try and remember their names, uh, their line of work, um, their favorite song. Yeah, Cascones, if we we took, we would sometimes do all request nights. Is I have Mike Ning or Dan DeLuca, and they knew any any tune. If we didn't, we would learn it for the next time. So, if someone would say, "Oh, can you play this tune?" Well, we don't know it, but we'll have it learned by the next time you come. And uh, you know, what are you doing? Why don't you guys come back next Saturday? Yeah, that kind of thing. So, just say so you know, it's just, just good business sense. So, how do you how do you take that approach of connecting with people and and, and tunes? And balance that with the art, 
innate artistic desires you have as musicians to really push you know forward and be progressive in terms of musicianship or or what have you and satisfying your own personal musical us uh, you know desires right well that's not easy either i think one of the things with kcjo when i was uh, running the band we would always open the second half of the concert with something really esoteric kind of bizarre that maybe people wouldn't know what to think and I would, you know, do something silly like say, uh, "This tune we're going to play is really out there. If you don't like it, it'll be over in five minutes." <laughs> you know, and it got a chuckle from the audience, and you get—they're buying in. They're engaged. They're engaged, you know, and we're trying to show them a good time, push the boundaries a little bit. Uh, but in the first half of the of the concert, we played tunes that they recognized and played them well. So, if you can play. Uh, the tunes they recognize at a really high, sincere level, then you can play uh, you know, a little more artistically and the, the buy-in will be there because you played with authenticity on the so-called olders. Right. Stuff. So it's just uh, you know, it's just like, you know, school concert bands, they always program at least one march. Yeah. You know, that's for grandma and grandpa. That's for the people that really don't want to be there. Like, oh, I recognize that. <laughs> I never thought about that that yeah, way. Just quality. In concert band, I can honestly say I hated playing the marches in the concerts. They were just, I was like, this is so bad. But, you know, occasionally you have a fun line to play. But, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You play it that way. Um, now, I don't have a lot of time here left. I, wanna, I don't want to take up the rest of the afternoon, but I can certainly talk all day. Um Last question before we get something kind of uh, some fun things. Um, what is your best advice to um, a listener that wants to go out and maybe does, hasn't gone out and, and heard music, or whether it be actually it has to be a listener or best advice to somebody who wants to be involved uh, at, in supporting live jazz um, mm-hmm. or musicians and, and likes the music, but doesn't know how to get involved what would be the best way they can get involved uh easily are you talking about as a listener or just a supporter supporter whatever it is however they want to do that well i'm not really sure i think um if if you can guarantee them that they're going to have a good time it's going to be worth their while Um, i used to do these things you know if anybody mentions this ad that I put on Facebook, mention it at the gig and I'll give you a free CD. You know, incentives. Yeah. You know, or come on down and I'll buy you a drink. Yeah. And that kind of thing, you know. I, so that's I, just make you know, people having a good time. You know, people are spending hundreds of dollars to go to concerts at the, the Sprint Center or T-Mobile Center. So people don't mind spending the money if they know what to expect it's going to be great you go to your favorite I remember going to see a band one time that I really loved and they didn't play any of their hits and I was really disappointed it was all new stuff not even one so you just got to make sure you know that people are going to have a good time and if you treat them like you're really glad they're there uh, 
that will do wonders. But as far as getting involved, you know, um, find, figure out the music you like and see see what other musicians in town uh, kind of emulate that that style. You know, you're talking about artistic, but also playing to the audience. And you know, Bobby Watson is like a textbook example of that. Uh, he's got you know more technique than anybody, but he can also work the room. Right. And so that when Bobby plays, he can work work solo up into a total frenzy. And just you can hear the whole room is like a magnet to him. I think so. Uh, I think you got to emulate the players, emulate who your idols are and try and do the things they do, how how they play, how they program a set. Um, you know, make keep it interesting. Like some people will say, well, every time I go hear jazz, it's like they play a melody and then the sax player solos, then the trumpet player, then the piano, and then the bass player. Yeah. It's like the same thing over and over again. I can't even tell if they're on the next song. Well, that's you got to mix it up. You got to think, okay, if I'm a lay person, what are they going to want to hear, and and how are we going to do this? Like not playing uh, two tunes in a row in the same key. Mix the tempos up. It sound like common sense things, but for but as a somebody who you know. If I'm a if I'm a supporter of jazz, but maybe I can't make it out to the clubs for the late nights, or I mean, certainly there's things happening all times of day. Like yeah. what you know, Stan was talking about the other day, and you probably heard. But there's so many places in this city that support live music and and host live music. I would I would say simply just support those places that support live music. Um, even if there's not live music when you're there. Just keep that place, keep the doors open there and let them know, hey, I love what you're doing with music. I want to come here sometime. Let them know that you appreciate what they're doing to support the live musicians as well. Um, because, you know, there's there's just, we have such a, a rich wealth of players and, and venues right now that I would, I would be remiss if any of them went away. Um, and I only want to keep continuing to grow this, but, you know, support support the venues uh support that which support the musicians buy the musicians a drink tip the musicians tip the tip the servers take care of those places when you do go out and it isn't about going out every week or twice a week or even every month if you make it out when you could make it out and go find somebody you want to go here if it's if it's the good times quartet of the black dolphin or if it's going to see lonnie mcfadden at the Reno Club mm-hmm. one night a month. Yeah, you know those are all great things that that support the scene. And uh, if we can all lift each other up in some respect from uh, the venues, the listeners, the musicians, all work together and have some unity, uh, it's going to continue to grow. There's a lot more jazz gigs now that are early on in the evening, so there is. You can make a night of it. You can come and go hear some jazz, and then maybe you're going to go to a concert at the T-Mobile Center. Right. Or, uh, you know, at the Black Dolphin, they, we don't serve food there, so you're either going to eat before or you're going to have a couple of drinks and then go out to dinner. Right. You know, so I get, uh, put that into the plan. Yeah. And go hearing some live local music. Absolutely. And there's always a way to figure it out. Um, so to finish, I have a couple 
non-jazz questions some uh specifically but i know you're a proud dual citizen canadian from winnipeg manitoba canada and, and a uh an ex-hockey player right yeah and from what i can tell your son jameson's becoming quite the young hockey player and really has been uh growing that and he's gotten bigger stronger better and he's really taken hockey to a high level at this point uh-huh um so hockey question for you and i'm not a big hockey fan so you could say pretty much anything to me but i know enough to be dangerous uh top three hockey players that you watch growing up or today like who do you who, who's your top three favorite hockey players um growing up well wayne gretzky he sure he kind of single-handedly took hockey to the next level as far as acceptance was he like and big doll big doe did he do for hockey what jordan did for basketball or tiger yeah. woods did for golf yep um who else um let's see I don't think, like, when we used to play as kids, whether we were playing out on the street or whatever, we'd always pretend. It's like, you know, you golf, so you probably, when you were a kid, say, Jack Nicholas putting for birdie. Yeah. You Tom know, Watson. So, Tom Watson, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, oh, there's so many. Bobby Hull. Bobby Hull, yeah. You know, uh, Bobby Orr, Guy Lafleur. Those are all kind of in our daily dialogue talking about those guys now best player right now in the game uh connor mcdavid and there's a, a young guy just coming up a cole i think his name is cole Kamur or something really yeah he has won uh he's won individual awards that at an unprecedented early age in the nhl really like more than sid the kid did back in then yeah wow yeah. um so talk about hockey now musically if you had to say there's one saxophone player that shaped your approach to tone early on that you emulated more than anybody i know this is a loaded question because there's hundreds probably but yeah i can answer this for myself but i want to hear what who's the saxophonist that influenced you the most early on oh jeez. Well, a lot of the records I got at the library were Scott Hamilton. They okay. had like every Concord release, so that was that I was can, one. I definitely hear that when I hear you play. That's a and Jimmy Forrest. Okay, and then my third Grover Washington Jr. I love it. Those are great, great answers. Um, yeah, Scott Hamilton. I was just watching a video with him the other day, um, and yeah. Oh, I, with that with those kids from yeah. Italy, I think it is. Well, is it? It was a live at Emmett's place. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, amazing, Scott yeah. Hamilton. But I remember I heard records of his years ago, and he's one of those players to me who was always in the pocket, swinging, mm-hmm. uh, didn't play a wrong note, and was very easy to listen to and enjoy. Yeah, you know, um, and. Uh, if you could historically put together a quartet for yourself to go record an album with, you're on saxophone. Who's your rhythm section? Are these uh, anybody dead people? Anyone? If you're putting together your <laughs> Jim Mayer historic quartet uh, album, I'll probably Wynton Kelly, Paul Chambers, and Jimmy Cobb. Dig it. Yeah. What would, what would be the first tune on the album? Um. 
Probably a contrafact on the standard. Nice. Um, and last thing, your favorite restaurant in Kansas City. Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty simple. Uh, I, I I love eating. We got free meals at Casconi's. So. <laughs> Casconi's? Yes. Oh, my god. There's nothing simple about that. It, that no, place is amazing. Incredible. In fact, that we'd we'd have so much food that would last us a whole week until next weekend. I got I remember one time I went and ordered to to go. I lived near there, Johnny Casconi's. Yeah. And uh, I stopped in to get to go for dinner for my wife and I. And I bought I got a uh, fed chicken fettuccine Alfredo and the pork asabuco. Oh man! And the asabuco alone could have fed an army. Yeah. <laughs> I got home. It's like. Whoa, this is like a catered meal for a family, but it was just one meal. It was amazing. Yeah. But, yeah, the place is great. Um, again, so this has been Live Jazz KC, the Trading Fours podcast, and uh, I'm Herschel McWilliams with my esteemed guest, Mr. Jim Mayer here. Um, anyway, come back anytime. We're going to keep putting these episodes up and having conversations with some of the greatest guys around kansas city who are making a difference right now who are doing things moving forward and uh and we just look forward to hearing their their points of view and the perspective and stories so uh, enjoy uh, these as they as they move along any last words Jim? yeah herschel what you've been doing is just phenomenal i mean uh, all this, the irons and the fire that you have going on to make making the scene better um it's very professional um you're what you're able to do with uh, graphics and websites and getting the word out is really commendable. Well, I appreciate Plus it. Plus, you play your butt off. Uh, I enjoy. I enjoy doing all of it. I enjoy playing saxophone and and uh, I enjoy. I mean, you've been really giving back. You know, I, I sense that Martin Cooper in you too. The way you're able to uh, share your love of music. And sharing of information. Yeah, I think that's important. People, it is, man. I mean, I had, I was given that, afforded that opportunity as a young person, and I feel like to not offer it back in some respects is a, is a disrespect to the people that gave it to me. So, yeah. um, anyway, this is Live Jazz KC Trading Force podcast, and uh, we'll be back again soon with somebody else uh, sitting next to me, or maybe somebody who's already been here. I don't know exactly where we're going to go, but. Um, from Lenexa, Kansas, we're signing off, and I'm going to leave you with the rest of this uh, wonderful Tavon Pinnacott um, track where he's uh, playing over rhythm changes. Again, I'm Herschel McWilliams. This has been myself and Jim Mayer. Thank you for listening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.